It's been a wonderful privilege to spend these few days in, in Kirksville and with the brethren here once again. And I pray the Lord would feed you and speak to you through this word this morning. If you open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 19, verse 28. I want to share with you this morning the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm primarily aiming this message at unbelievers, whether they be just out and out unbelievers or people who, like Zoe just said, I was a hypocrite myself six years in a in a church without being saved. I don't know who those people are, but the Lord does. So my hope is that God will use this message to bring you to salvation this morning. But also for the believer, Paul preached the gospel to those in Rome who were already believers. And it is uh, wonderful to hear these truths again. And so I'm going to read these three verses from John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30. And then we'll pray. After this... Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit let's pray father you have finished the work you have done all that the father sent you to do and i pray through your word this morning that your spirit would come you would descend upon here your spirit whom you promised to send to convict the world of sin and of righteousness that you would grant repentance this day, that you would grant the gift of faith, that you would say to dead bones, live. Help us, Lord, come with power now and give the reward for the death of your son. May he receive his inheritance. I pray, Lord, that you would save this day, that people would know that you have finished the work and they could glory in you as their Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you, if you look with me now in, in verse 28 of our text, in, in my New American Standard, which I'm reading from, it reads, After this, Jesus, knowing that, if, if Jesus, incarnate deity, knew this, this is a fact. This is a, a certainty. And what did he know? What was he so sure about? He says, all things had already been accomplished. Now, in the original language here, in the original Greek, the Greek word translated as being accomplished, there in verse 28, is tetelestai. It is the same word that in verse 30 is translated, it is finished, or it has been finished. The ESV translation, if you're reading from that, it actually renders verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. This word to telestai, it means to bring to an end, to complete. And the other Gospels tell us that Jesus cried out these last words. It's as if when he said, I am thirsty, and they took the sponge full of sour wine or vinegar and put it on a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. It's as if Jesus took that to moisten his throat in order to cry aloud these words, it is finished. Another way of translating this word to telestai is paid in full. 
In fact, verse 28, some good scholars actually translate this verse. After this, Jesus, knowing that all had now been paid in full. This word was commonly used to discharge a debt. And so Jesus, knowing that all our debts, our debt to God for our sin, had been paid in full. And verse 30, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it has been paid in full. It is finished. You see, the way it started, in the beginning, God created this world in a, in a perfect state. At the creation, God declared this world very good. The world was made to reflect God and His Christ. And so in its original state, the way God created it, it was altogether lovely. It was altogether good. And mankind was originally dwelling in communion with God. All the heartache that you see out there today, all the disease, all the cancer, the broken marriages, the murder, the child abuse, the wicked hearts of men, all the selfishness with people saying, I'm going to live my life my way, that was not part of the original creation. This is not, that was not the way man was meant to live. But you know the story. Adam with his wife, took the fruit back in the Garden of Eden. And because of the rebellion against God, the whole of mankind, although not yet born, was then judged guilty with them and put under the curse and judgment of God. Adam, the Bible says, was our moral representative head of the entire human race. And so when Adam sinned, the whole human race sinned in Adam, and became guilty with him. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin, we sinned in Adam, and the soul that sinned shall die. Romans 5.18 says, So then, as through the one transgression, there resulted, this was the result of Adam's sin, it says there resulted condemnation to all men. All mankind, that is. Men, women, and children. When Adam, our moral representative head of the human race, sinned, we were all counted guilty with Adam. You're either united to Adam by birth, or you are united to Christ by faith, by second birth. Now you may say, well, well that, that seems unfair. How can we be accountable and guilty for Adam's sin when, you know, I wasn't even born? Well, if it was somehow unfair for God to account the sin and the guilt of Adam upon us, then it would also be unfair for God to make many righteous through the one man, Jesus Christ. But not too many people struggle with that one. But, but, but let's face it, even if it was the case, and it's not, but even if it was the case that God did not hold Adam's sin against you, then you would still have all your own sins to deal with. God is so holy, he judges sin in thought, word, and deed. Everything you've done in secret will be brought out into the open. Adam took a bit of fruit. How many more times have you sinned? But, but think about this. Adam was our moral representative head of the human race. If a president does wrong, that the consequence of what he's done wrong affects not just himself, but the whole nation. When a president declares war on another country, in effect, the whole nation is at war with that other country. Even those who get born in the middle of the war. Well, when Adam declared war against God and chose to not live under his rule, the whole of mankind went to war against God, choosing not to live under his rule. And when a father sins, 
The consequences of his sin affects not just himself, but his whole family. And sometimes for generations to come. I mean, think about this. Let's say a a father has an inheritance of some property or or a house or a business. And so this possession would normally be passed on to the next generation and on to the next generation and on to the next generation and so forth. But supposing this father turns to drink or to gambling or to some other vile sin and he ends up losing his inheritance. Well, that does not just affect him, but it affects the generations after him. Well, brethren, God is our inheritance. Psalm 16 verse 5 says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. Adam dwelt in that garden with the living God. The greatest thing in this universe is God. And so the greatest thing that God can share, the greatest thing that God can give to mankind is himself. Man was meant to dwell with his maker. This is what true life is. Jesus, our Emmanuel, our God with us, in John 14 verse 9, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Real life is knowing and communing with the living God. And any temporal, physical life that we have without God, the Bible says, is spiritual death. You know, round about the time of Halloween, I went into a shop. Uh, and the staff there were all dressed as zombies. They had the faces painted white to make them look like they, they were dead. They had this fake blood running down their face. I mean, it kind of put me off buying the milk. <laughs> but it suddenly dawned on me that how they were dressed as zombies, how they were dressed as walking dead men, perceived a reality of how they actually are. Because all people who live alienated from God, all those without Christ who have not come to know Him, are spiritually dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sins. Although they are physically alive, they are spiritually dead. They are walking zombies. Listen, if you are without Christ this morning, then you are spiritually a walking zombie. You may or you may not be in your prime of life and you may look beautiful on the outside, but the reality is if you could see, get a glimpse of reality like my wife Zoe when she gave testimony, though when God gave her a glimpse of what she was really like. It would be like digging up a man who'd just been buried a few days ago. You know, Eve took that fruit from the garden because she was deceived, the Bible says. Listen to me, sin is a deceiver. The world without Christ is a deceiver. This temporal world which is passing away and the the lusts of it and the pride of life is a deceiver. The devil, who, who was a murderer from the beginning, is out to destroy you. Listen to me now that there are, there are some young people here without Christ. Others too. Some of you, you've, you've grown up in the church. You know, why continue to stay in that state and be continually deceived? Why continue to listen to, listen to the deceitfulness of the devil? When Jesus, he holds out his hands to receive you now, but he says to you, you will not come to me that you might have life. If you're not coming, it's because you're deceived. You take Satan's word over the word of the altogether lovely Christ. You're not, it's because you're not yet done with the world. Because you are deceived by the devil's lies. There, there is a, a wonderful animation video I saw on the prodigal son. 
And there's this still image in it where you have this girl who before her conversion, before she comes to Christ, she's cuddling this gross, grotesque, ugly beast. Well, some of you are doing that. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Why continue to present yourself to service for the devil when you can have life in Christ? In Matthew 4, the devil, he took Jesus on this very high mountain and he showed him all this world as to offer. And Satan said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Because what profit is it to a man? What profit is it to you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? To anyone who is unconverted this morning. To anyone who does not have Christ as your all in all. To anyone who is toying with or is engrossed in the world. I ask you that even if you gain everything that this world has to offer, which you won't. But what is the point of selfishly living for the here and now, disregarding God in this short life, only then to spend an eternity in hell? Your life, my friends, is a vapor. We're here for a moment. Then we are gone into eternity forever. Those people who died in that tornado last night, I doubt they got up this morning, that morning expecting it would be the last. Esau sold his soul for a a pot of stew. And I fear there are some people in here who are selling the soul for just as cheap. Selling the soul for a few years in the world or maybe for a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Like the man in Luke who said, I cannot come because I have a wife. Are you going to continue to be deceived and try to live without God? Or are these words I'm saying, are they starting to make you uncomfortable in your situation? Starting to alert you and wake you up? Because listen, if you're coming to your senses, if you've had enough of the pig trough living without Christ, then just say, I will arise and go to my father. You can't win your fight against God. So why continue on Satan's side? Just just run up the white flag of surrender and have done with the old you and God will embrace you through Jesus Christ. He put a, a ring on your finger and give you the robe of his righteousness and he will celebrate if you will come home. So come home. You know, Rink Kuyper, speaking of why hell is forever, he said if the love of God was a little thing, then it would be a little thing to trifle with and reject his love. But because the love of God is infinite, then to reject his love is a crime of infinite magnitude. Better to never have known the way of salvation than to know it but reject it. Better to never know about God sending his son in love for mankind, than to know about him and reject him. I mean, you may think, well, I'm not that bad. But listen, if you continue to reject the love and forgiveness of Christ and refuse to fully turn to him, then on judgment day, Jesus said, Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in judgment against you and condemn you. They would have repented if they knew what you knew about his gospel. So how, how can a man be right with God? That is the, the age-old question. Mankind is guilty before God. And because God is just, he cannot just let you go. Justice must be done. As Brother Charles said in his book, if a, if a murderer or a rapist was just given a $10 fine, 
then that judge would be wicked. He would be evil. You see, because God is loving, because he is infinitely good, then he must, uh, he must punish sinners. And because our sins, because our, our, our offenses are against the God who is infinitely pure, holy, and righteous, then that makes all sin an infinitely vile crime. Man cannot save himself. You cannot save yourself. When we do so-called good deeds or religious acts to try and earn favor with God, the Bible says all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. When you try to reform your life to get right with God, if it's like trying to wave a, a filthy, a, a polluted rag right in God's face. Trying to smother him with it. Mankind could not save him or herself. We could never pay our own penalty. But God, don't you just love those words in your Bible, but God. When all seems hopeless, when all seems in despair, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, in his great love for us, he became man on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the everlasting son of God. He is without beginning and without end. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born. He was not always a man. But Jesus is the God who in the beginning said, let there be light and there was light. But at a point, point in time, in order to redeem his people, God became humanity. And the eternal word of God became flesh and he dwelt, he lived among us. I mean, think about this. Those shepherds who visited Jesus at his birth, that little baby they saw in an animal trough was the creator of the universe himself. Uh, and the child grew up. And whereas we could not, nor did we want to keep the law of God, Jesus Christ was always obedient to God his Father for every single moment of his entire life. For Every single moment of Jesus' life, he perfectly loved God, his Father, with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his mind and with all of his strength. And he perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. But then Jesus, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. Not for his own sin, because he did not have any sin. Jesus always did what was right before God. He never sinned even once in thought, word, or deed. The reason he went to that cross was to pay for our sin. For all those who would believe upon him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. We all despised and hid our faces from him before conversion. Does that still describe some of you today? Surely our griefs he himself born, and our sorrows he carried... Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us. Like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Are you still going your own way? Then hear. Hear of the love that God has for you and turn back to him now. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I could not pay the debt for my own sin. And so my guilty record 
was imputed, it was accounted to Jesus Christ. I had done nothing but sin against him. And yet he willingly chose to lay down his life for me. By this we know love. That he laid down his life. God's very own son came from heaven to die. John Flavel said in, in, a, in the Father's Bargain. He was trying to conjure up and imagine a, a conversation in eternity past. Between God the Father and the Son. Working out the plan of redemption. And he said something like this. The, the Father said to the Son. If you're going to pay the debt. For their sins. Then you must pay it all. Every last farthing. Every last bill. You must pay. And so the son replied. He said reckon. Them all to me. Every last one. But not only did Jesus pay for the sin of the world, but the, the perfect obedient life that Jesus lived is credited the other way to the believer. All of the sins I have committed was placed upon your righteous son. And now you see me through his perfection as if I'd never done any wrong. Always forgiven, always accepted, no fear of judgment before your throne. That's what Christ has done for me. So, how does this great salvation that Jesus has accomplished, how does it get to you? The answer is by faith. By believing upon. By resting upon what He has done. So, quit your rebellion. And just come take this gracious offer of mercy today. You, you may say, but... You may say, but, but after all the times I've repeatedly heard this message, you may say, I've grown up in the church, I've heard so much truth, but I've... Just rejected God's mercy week after week, time after time. Uh, you may say, I've, I've continually trampled underfoot the blood of the Son of God and counted Christ as what He did as if it was nothing. Is there still mercy for me? Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Return unto me, for I have redeemed you. And don't put your faith in self. Don't put your faith in yourself to clean your life up. To get you up to a certain standard. Don't put your faith in your faith. As if, you know, if I just believe to a certain level, then a bell goes off in heaven. Faith in your own faith won't save you. Don't rest in your own faith. Rest in Christ. Believe upon Him. Don't look to yourself. You must look outside of yourself. It's no good looking to yourself, look outside of yourself and look upon Christ who has done it all. Realize this great salvation He has accomplished, He has finished, that it is paid in full. What Jesus came to do is complete. That's another way of translating that word to telestai, complete. If it's complete, then that means you don't need to, nor can you add to it. So don't try to complete it by working up a certain amount of tears. Stop bringing your worthless offerings. You know, I'm not the best painter. But imagine if you took me to view a masterpiece of a great artist, like something like the Mona Lisa, and I decided that I needed to finish it. To improve it. 
Now the moment I lay my paintbrush on that painting, I would begin to defile it. Because it is already finished. It is already completed. Well, hear what Christ has done here. The work of redemption, he has finished it. He has done all that is needed to purchase the souls of lost men and women. So don't try to add to it. Don't try to defile it by thinking you've got to finish it, by working up a certain feeling, or by working up a certain amount of guilt or tears or whatever. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't told to wait a long time or look for a feeling. Listen, Christianity is not void of feelings, but it's Christ you must seek. But he wasn't told, wait for a long time, look for a feeling. He was told to believe on Christ that instant. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now, right here in this place and you will be saved. Choose this day whom you will serve. Give up your rebellion. And follow Christ. Take him as your Lord and Savior. He says here and he... It says, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I have the power to lay it down and to lay it, take it up again. He rose again on the third day, revealing our debt had been paid in full. The wrath of God that we deserve, the Bible describes it as the cup of God's wrath. He drank every last drop. He's completely satisfied it. And later he, he ascended up into heaven. He is, he is now sat down at the right hand of the Father in glory. And he now commands all men, all people everywhere to turn to him, to have life. So what are you waiting for? Would Jesus have the sinner die? Why hangs he then on yonder tree? What means that strange expiring cry? Sinners, he prays for you and me. Forgive them, Father, oh forgive. They know not that by me they live. Now, I, I believe as, as most commentators do that what Jesus is referring to here when he says it is finished includes the atonement for sin and that is the primary context which was which we've just looked at. But I also believe it's referring to much more than just the atonement. Because verse 28, he says there to fulfill the scripture. This is something we see repeated and common. And so what Jesus said has been finished here is Jesus' earthly ministry. All he can... All that he came to accomplish to save men, and that includes the atonement for sins, of course, but also the types, the prophecies, have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, so I just want to consider some of these. Christ is the greater than Noah. Back in Genesis chapter 6, when God flooded the world, which is a picture, it is a foreshadow of the, the judgment to come. There was a time then, there, were, there was only one that pleased God. And only Noah and his family were saved. Well, ultimately, Christ is the only one who can truly please to God. It can only truly please God. And at the final judgment, only Jesus and his family will be saved. Are you and his family? If you are, then then Jesus said this will be evidenced by you doing the will of God. What's the will of God? Romans 12 tells us to present your body as a, as a living sacrifice. Everything you are, living a life sold out for God. But listen, if, if you're not part of his family, I mean the Bible, there's no middle ground. You are either in Christ or in Adam. You're either part of the, the family of God or the Adam's family. 
But if you are outside of him this morning, you can be adopted into his family. You can be adopted as his child this day. You ask, you know, but is it a long process? I need to go through, is 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 it a long adoption process? I mean, to adopt a child, it takes ages. But no, Christ has already done the work. So now rest in Him and His great love for you. And Christ, He is the Ark of Noah. When God judged the world with that flood, only those who were in the Ark were saved. Well, at the final judgment, only those who are in Christ will be saved. So let me ask you, are you in the Ark? Are you in Christ? You see, in Noah's day, it was not good enough to just say, I believe God's going to judge the world with a flood. And I believe that Noah is building an ark of refuge. Because what good is only believing these truths if you don't board the ark? Well, what good is learning about these great theological truths of Scripture and wonderful Christian doctrine if you never come to the person of Christ? If you never rest your weary soul in Him. And maybe there was some in Noah's day who believed God was going to judge the world. And that Noah had built an ark of safety. But they never entered because they weren't done with the world. Maybe they planned to enter at some later date. But the door was shut and they perished. Or maybe there was some out there still trying to build their own boats. So they refused to board the ark of safety of Noah because they were determined to save themselves. There is only one way of salvation and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. To be in the ark of Christ is to forsake all of the hope of refuge and put your hope in Christ alone. Who is a sure and certain hope. You know when we use that word hope. You you tend to think of how an unbeliever would use it. Like I hope I win the lottery. Or I hope my sports team wins. I mean believers enjoy sports too. But when when the Bible speaks of a hope. It's talking about a certain hope. If you put your hope in God. Because he has finished the work. He's paid it in full. And Christ is the mercy seat where there is peace at the altar. He is the place where the guilty sinner can be instantly reconciled to a holy God. Horatius Bonar said, how, how am I to go to God? He says, you must go to God in all your sins. That is the first lesson you must learn because your sins are the only thing that you, you own. Jesus, he holds out his arms to you now and he's willing to receive guilty sinners just like you. His message is, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He does not tell you to go and labor on, but to come and have rest in him. And Christ, he is the true ark of the covenant to which every false god, every false system, every Dagon will bow down. Jesus is the everlasting and the the true Sabbath. If you read that creation account properly in Genesis 1 and 2, what you find is there's an evening and a morning and a first day. There's an evening and a morning and a second day. There's an evening and a morning and a third day, all the way up until the sixth day. But on the seventh day, there is no evening and no morning. Why? Because it is a continual day there. God did not... Create the world in in those six days, but then go back to work, have a a day off, and then go back to work the next day. Why? Because it is finished. A picture of Christ, he's finished the work. And so now you must enter into his rest. Maybe there's there's some legalist out there who have a, a slavish fear of the law. And you think, one wrong move and I'm condemned. But you must realize this truth. It has been finished. 
Maybe there's, maybe there's some of you who just feel utterly doomed. You think maybe you've pushed God too far, committed the unforgivable sin, that God's abandoned you and left you. But realize this truth. It is finished, paid in full. He's paid for your sin once for all. And He invites you to believe on Him. It's wicked not to. And Christ is the, He is the tabernacle in the wilderness. And He dwells with His people through the wilderness of this world. If you will come to Him, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in those times when He may hide His face from you so that you grow in faith or He may chastise you. He's still there watching over you. Christ is the true Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. When God sent that tenth plague throughout Egypt, the Israelites, though, were told to slaughter a lamb without blemish and apply the, paint the blood of the lamb to the, to the lintel and to the doorposts. Well, when God sent that death plague through Egypt that night and it struck the firstborn son, when it saw the blood of the lamb was on the doorposts, God's judgment passed over. Again, a, a, a wonderful picture of the final Judgment. What matters is that God sees on you, not your own sweat and tears, but the blood of the Lamb. How can you come to a holy, righteous God through the blood? Through what Christ has done. Through His bloody sacrifice. Through His violent death for you. Christ is the the burning bush that was not yet consumed and He is a a safe place for a hell-deserving sinner. Christ is the city of refuge. In the book of Numbers there, God appointed those cities of refuge that, that guilty manslayers were to flee to. If you feel your guilt before God this morning, you have only one place to flee to. Flee to Christ. Don't wait a moment longer. That's what it means by flee. Run. Trust in Him as fast as you can. And Hebrews confirms that God is finished with all the old Mosaic covenant. All those many different types of of animal sacrifices there. I mean, there were so many different types of sacrifices For so many different types of sin. I mean, it was just so thorough. I mean, imagine a guy in that old covenant with a sensitive conscience. And he's doing a, a, you know, a sacrifice. I mean, those animals cost money. He'd soon be broke. Imagine hearing these words. It is finished. I mean, what do all those many different sacrifices teach us for all those different types of sin? They teach us that the one final and perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ was so complete, so thorough, it takes away all types of sin. Christ is the true manna. He is the bread of life. I mean... It's kind of hard for us to understand this. Bread was the staple food where Jesus said those words. We don't have a a staple food in England or America. I mean, if you run out of one type of food, you just go and get another. We, I mean, we had pizza last night, but if, if there was no pizza, we wouldn't have starved. But you see, back then, running out of bread meant certain death. And so it is that life without Christ means certain death. Both now and in the second death in the world to come. Christ is the Almighty. He is all powerful. You may not be able to save yourself, but He is mighty to save. And Christ was the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head. And here upon this cross the victory is won. And Satan's doom is secured. Charles Spurgeon said this text is a thunderclap against all human righteousness. 
I want to finish by sharing a little illustration by Brother Conrad Merrill. Because all the answer is really in Christ. A man came to Brother Merrill for counsel. And he says, my life is in a mess. And so Conrad Merrill said to him, go on, tell me about it. And so he said to him, well, he said, my wife is threatening to leave me because she wants to go out and have fun with the world, raise hell. I don't want to do that. I want to be a Christian. And he said, what else? He says, well, my, my business partner is threatening to leave me because he wants to do some, some bad deals. And I want to try and live honestly. On top of that, I have a smoking habit, which is a blight on my testimony. And he says, and I was feeling sorry for myself. I was in a motel and a young divorcee there made propositions. And he said, now he said, I didn't do anything, but I was tempted. And I, I don't trust myself if that happened the next time. So Brother Conrad Merle said, you are in a mess. And he said, it seems to me you only have four options. So he said, option number one, are you willing to go out of this place today in the same way that you came in? Ask yourself that same question. If you came in here lost or compromised. He said, are you willing to go out here in the same way you came in. And the guy said no. But Brother Merle interrupted him and said. Think about this. Because if you can you will. And there's no point wasting a couple of hours of my time. If you're, if you're going to go out in the same way you came in. So he thought about it and he said no. Something's got to change. Something's got to change this day. Before I leave this place. So Brother Conrad said. Right. Option number one. Gone. No longer worth thinking about. Something has got to change. Now he said option number two. Drop your profession of Christianity. Go out with your wife. Raise hell with her. You know, commit some deal, bad deals with your business partner. So long as it doesn't get you into prison. Smoke all you like with a clear conscience. Go find that divorcee. Take her up on her offer. Go to hell at the end of it. He said, I can't do that. I, I, I don't want to live like that. And he says, but can you? Because if you can, sooner or later, you will live like that. So he thought about it more. He resolved, counted the cost and said, no. I can't live like that. Don't want to. So he said, right, that option's gone. No longer worth considering. We can't even think about it anymore. So option number three. He said, go home. If you haven't got one, stop off at a pawn shop. Go out into the yard so you don't make a mess. Put the gun to your head and, and fire a bullet. He said, I can't do that. I'll go to hell. And he says, yeah, but you won't be in this hell you're, you're in now. He said, no, I can't do that. So he said, it seems to me you only have one option left. Follow Christ. If your wife leaves you, follow Christ. If your business fails, follow Christ. Despite anything else, follow Christ. And the man thought about it. And then a smile came to his face. And he said, it, yes, it really is that simple, isn't it? <laughs> follow Christ. And the commitment he made that day. He was a changed man. Brother Conrad said he, he saw him two years later. He was preaching in the same place. And this man had been through hell and back. His wife was now on, on clinging to his arm. She had got saved, it appeared. His business partner had left him, though. He'd lost his business. But from that commitment he made that day, his faith was tested. And he trusted the living God. So follow Christ. As Elijah said on Mount Carmel. If Christ is God. Then follow him. Choose this day. Whom you will serve. Follow Christ. You may have. 
have been sat in a seat where God says, where God said to you, not my people, but in a place where it was said of them, not my people, they shall be called sons of the living God. Trust in Christ this day. I plead with you. He will save you. If you'll just abandon, renounce your own self-righteousness, your own selfishness, and commit yourself, trust yourself to Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that from these words this morning, That you will bring people into your kingdom. That they would come to you just as they are without one plea. But that their blood was shed. Oh, for them, Lord. It's all of you. May your spirit be pleased to descend upon us now. And shine light in the darkness that they would take Christ as they're all in all, come to their senses, stop living, toying with the pig trough of this world and sin and arise and go to your Father in heaven. Lord, I pray you would draw people unto yourself through your gospel this morning and there would be celebrations in heaven over sinners coming to repentance. Help people, Lord, to look away from self and see Be born again to a living hope that Christ Jesus has has finished the work. It is finished. It is done. Paid in full. In Jesus' name, amen.